listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. We've been talking about all the different aspects of prayer and the different things that we've learned from looking at Scripture and looking at all the, the different accounts and stories uh, in the Bible that talk about prayer. And uh, last week we, um, we started talking about this this, this idea that prayer literally is, it's like God and man coming into a partnership with each other to where literally when Jesus says, pray like this, he says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. And we talked about this concept that God's will literally is to be able to bring about his desired purposes here on the earth, but there's only one thing that holds God back from being able to accomplish that, and that is you and me not praying. Prayer is the only thing that can stop God's purposes from happening, or a lack of prayer, excuse me, is the only thing that can stop God's purposes. As a matter of fact, I would be so bold as to say, God can't do anything on this earth unless somebody comes to him in prayer and asks him to do it. That it really is an exchange between God and man where we come into agreement with God's heart and God's will and we let God have his way. It's pretty amazing that God set up a system like this for us to participate in because I don't know about you guys, but I'm jacked up. And for me to have to be something that does uh, participates in that way, it blows my mind. It's really amazing. And so last week we read this story in the Bible that was so fitting. It was a story of Jesus in his last moments where he's literally going into this garden to pray and he knows that he's getting ready to lay down his life for humanity. And he says to his disciples, he says, will you guys pray with me? Will you stay and keep watch while I go and pray? And Jesus comes back and he, what does he do? He finds them sleeping. So he wakes them up and he's like, hey guys, I'm serious. Stay awake. I'm going to pray. And he goes and he prays again. He comes back and they're sleeping. And he says, Jesus makes this profound statement that so many of us have heard at different times in our life. He says, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, in other words, inside you want to do what's right. But your carnality and your flesh and your emotions and this world, they push against you and they keep you from obeying what it is that God has for you. And in essence, what Jesus was saying to us is prayer is a struggle. Prayer is really a struggle. It's not something that is simple. It's not something that comes instinctively to us. As a matter of fact, we've talked in the last several weeks about the fact that many of us find ourselves in situations where we buy into the thinking that I've tried everything else. All there is left for me to do is pray. And how our thinking is so upside down and how Jesus came to completely reverse everything about what's instinctive to us and to say, the first thing that you should do is pray. The most important thing that you can do is involve God in your situations and in your circumstances, not just because God knows what's best, but because God's will can be brought about when we invite him and when we pray. In the book of Mark chapter 11, I want to share one more story with you about prayer tonight. That is, um, it's pretty interesting when we read this story, starting in verse number 12. It says, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus felt hungry. He noticed a fig tree that was a little way off that was full in full leaf. So he went over to see if he could find any figs on it. 
but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. So Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say this. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered into the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls was selling doves, and he stopped everyone from bringing in merchandise. He taught them this. The scriptures declare that my temple will be called a place of prayer or a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And when the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how they could kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so enthusiastic about Jesus' teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. But the next morning, as they passed by that same fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it was withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day, and he exclaimed, Lord, look, teacher, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And then Jesus said to his disciples, these are amazing words, he says, have faith in God, for I assure you that you can say to this mountain, May God lift you up and throw you into the sea, and your very command will be obeyed. All that's required is that you really believe and do not doubt in your heart. Listen to me. You can pray for anything, and if you believe, you will have it. But when you are praying, first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sons too. This is a crazy story when you think about it. Let me tell you a little bit about what's, what's happening in the day of Jesus and in his disciples. They're in the middle of a time where they have just come into the city and Jesus has been welcomed by the multitudes. As a matter of fact, if you read a little bit back in the story, you find that this is the part of the story where when people saw him coming, they were putting palm leaves down on the ground and they were welcoming him, him in. And Jesus has this encounter with this tree, this fig tree. And as soon as he has this encounter, the next day he wakes up and he goes into the temple, which was his custom to do. But the thing that was really interesting about his encounter with this tree that many of us probably wouldn't know on the surface, we're looking at this story going, why is Jesus so pissed off at this tree? Because it doesn't have any figs on it. It's like, what did the tree ever do to you, Jesus? But the thing about this story, it's so interesting, is that if you know anything about fig trees, they're not supposed to have leaves on them until after they have fruit on them. Matter of fact, a fig tree grows fruit first, and then after the fruit has developed, then it begins to grow leaves, and it begins to surround itself with the, the leaf structure. And so Jesus, the Bible says, he sees this fig tree off in the distance, and he's hungry. And so he walks up to it thinking, what? I'm going to get a snack. And as he walks up to this tree, he sees that it has the leaves on it, but it doesn't have any fruit on it. And he says something that is very symbolic. He says, nobody will ever eat of your fruit again. And then, of course, the story goes on, and he goes to the temple the next day, and Jesus is encountering with his disciples, and they bring it back up to him. They're just like, that tree that you spoke to yesterday, it's dead. It completely withered up at your words. It completely shriveled up because you told it to. And this blew their mind. And Jesus is, is saying this thing to this tree because this tree had a problem that many of us have experienced in our lives too. This tree looked like it had something to offer, 
but it really didn't. It was a fraud. It was something that on the surface appeared to be healthy, and it appeared to be something that would be satisfying, and yet when you got up close to it, you realized that it wasn't. How many times have you had something look good from a distance, but once you got close to it, it only let you down? You know that story. You know that feeling. It could be a relationship with somebody where from a distance you think, that is exactly what I need, and it will satisfy my heart, and it'll give me everything that I'm looking for, only to find as you get closer to it and as you get more wrapped up in it that it really can't give you anything of satisfaction or anything of real lasting substance or meaning. We've all done that. We've all fell for that. Many of us actually have had that same encounter with religion. Many of us, if we, if we were to go around this room tonight, can say that at some point in our life, I saw something of religion or something religious that captivated my attention, and I thought, if I could just have that, then maybe I would have some peace in my life, or maybe I would have some joy, or maybe I would have the answers to the questions that I'm looking for. And as many of our stories go here tonight, many of us have found ourselves in religious circles only to be let down because we found out that when we got close enough to it, there was hypocrisy and there was greed and there was abuse and there was things that seemed like they were okay on the surface, but when I started to pull back the covers to it, I realized that it wasn't what it appeared and my heart was let down. See, this story is so familiar to you and me because it's the same story that we see lived out in our culture today. Jesus talks to this tree and he says, you're a fraud. You appear to be something that you're not. And then the very next day, Jesus goes to church. And as he walks into church, he finds a really, really disturbing sight. He finds a place that is supposed to be a place where people come to pray and connect with God. And yet he finds that it is a place that has been turned in to what he called a den of thieves or a den of robbers, a place where greed was rampant and injustice and abuse was taking place everywhere. Now, in order for us to understand this, you have to understand that people came, excuse me, people came to the temple because in their day, it was the closest place that they could get to be near God. And so they would travel from great distances to come to this temple at least once a year, sometimes more. And when they got there, there were two things that they had to accomplish by being there. The first was they had to pay a financial tax or a due or a tithe or an offering. They had a temple tax that they had to come and they had to give. But the second thing, the most beautiful thing, was that they came to worship God and they did it through sacrifices of animals. I know that that sounds disturbing for many of us today, unless you live in my neighborhood and you've heard that dog at three in the morning and then you would like to do a little animal sacrifice yourself anyway. Um, but they would come to this temple every year and they would offer these animals to God because of their brokenness and because of their sin. There was no way for them to get close to God without this bridge that was built temporarily for them. And you say, well, that's fine. But the problem is, is that put yourself in their shoes. If you and I had to travel by donkey or by horse from here to Sacramento, how long would it take us? A long time, right? And by the time we got there, we would be exhausted, we would be tired, and the last thing that we would want to do on this long journey 
is have to bring along any unnecessary baggage with us. We would not want to have to bring more animals or livestock with us. And so they developed this system where when people got to the temple, they actually provided animals for them to be able to come and worship God with. Now, being the, the environment that they lived in, people started capitalizing on this financially. People started charging very, very high prices for these animals, and they started turning this into a marketplace where they were literally making it almost out of reach for people to be able to worship God. And it was even worse than that. There was a place outside the temple where the Gentile people that were not called Jews, they could go and they could be near God and they could worship, and it was this courtyard that they could go and they could be in. You know where they set up all the tables? You know where they set up all of the livestock to sell stuff? You know where they did all of their flea market stuff? Yeah, in the court where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to worship. What was that saying to those people? It was saying that you're not as valuable as these animals. You're not as valuable as me making a buck. You're not as valuable. And you're going to have to find somewhere else to worship God. They were being pushed out. And Jesus comes walking on this scene and he starts flipping tables upside down. He starts running people out. Matter of fact, in one of the accounts in the Gospels, the Bible says that he literally made a whip. He starts going crazy. He starts clearing the place out. But in the middle of this encounter, it says right in the middle that Jesus actually taught them something. He teaches them from the book of Jeremiah, a scripture that they all knew in their culture because they studied Jeremiah the prophet. They understood the law. And the, the, the scripture that he quotes to them says, my temple will be called a house of prayer or a place of prayer. In other words, what he was saying is, look at what you guys have done with the place that was supposed to be called the house of prayer. You have completely destroyed it. You have completely abused it. You've completely turned it into something that it was never meant to be. And you have kept people from connecting with God. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing that I believe stirs up God more emotionally than seeing people that want to connect with him, but they can't. As a matter of fact, if you're here tonight and you've never been here on a Saturday night before, you have to know that the reason that we do this is because we believe in our hearts that there are people that need to be able to connect with God that have never been able to find a place that they could do that. We believe that there are some amazing churches all across this valley, and especially in the city of Lodi. And we support them. They, they're our brothers and our sisters. And, and the last thing that we want to do is try to do something different or better or, you know, it's not about that. It's about the fact that there are some people that need to be able to get near God that haven't felt that they could for whatever reason. And Jesus is about that. He's about you. He's after your heart tonight. If you're hitting, sitting here tonight and you're hearing this story and you're like, I don't even relate to this scripture. I don't even relate to this Bible and what you're talking about. Just know that thousands of years ago, there was a man named Jesus who was after the broken and the ones that were cast out. And he's after the ones that are broken and cast out here tonight too. And if you're here tonight and you felt something or you're feeling something in your heart, I told you at the beginning, you have to open up and you have to respond. Take it a step further right now. I'm going to challenge you to actually say a prayer from your heart right now. 
I'm going to challenge you to say a simple prayer to God with your eyes wide open. Say, God, show me you're real. Say it from your heart. Say, God, show me that you're real. Because he will do that. This story brings us to a very interesting understanding as we talk about prayer. Jesus talks about this temple being a place where he, he designated it for prayer. But after he leaves the temple, he goes back to this tree. And the disciples see that this tree has literally shriveled up and died because Jesus spoke to it. And they were amazed by it. And Jesus begins to teach them about the power of prayer. And he begins to expound to them that there are no impossibilities with God when we pray. He begins to expound that there is nothing on this earth that God cannot intervene in, that there is no circumstance that God cannot change, that there is nothing that is too hard for God to get involved in if we pray. But at the very end of the teaching, he says something that is just a mind blower. He summarizes everything he says about prayer by saying, but you have to forgive anybody you have a grudge against. You have to forgive anybody that you have a grudge against. In other words, Jesus says that prayer and forgiveness are connected. How many of you have ever been in a situation in your life where you've prayed for something but it didn't come true? All of us. God is all about bringing his desires to this world. And God says, I want more than anything to get in your business, to be able to get into all of the circumstances of your life, but you've got to let me have you. You've got to let me become a part of you. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John chapter 15, something that's so amazing. He says these words. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says, anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. And such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But here's the key. He says, if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, then you can ask any request that you like and it will be granted. Jesus says, my true disciples produce much fruit. And this brings great glory to my Father. See, prayer is like a contract between two parties. It's a contract between God and man. I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, the undue privilege of being in a car dealership to sign a contract where there's, you know, they play the games with you, the emotional roller coaster where it's just like, you know, it's like bring this guy in. It's like, ah, I don't know, I'll have to go talk to my boss and he brings his boss back in and all the while you're just getting broken down trying to get you to overpay for a vehicle. I know if anybody's here in the car business, I apologize. I've got to do what you got to do. But it's, it's just, it's so hard to go through this, the situation. But you finally get to the end of this, of this lengthy ordeal and what do they do? They put in front of you a 300-page document that you just got to sign in all these places. But it literally is this contract that is binding between two parties. It's binding between you and the lender. And what do you do? You sign your name to it. And you agree to your intention of paying for this thing. And they agree to their intention of providing the money up front. 
We, we read a couple weeks ago that Jesus came, and, and in this very pivotal moment in his encounter with, with the disciples, he makes a statement that is absolutely crazy. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. They will not prevail against it. They will not tear it down. Jesus declares his intentions. He says, I will build my church. He comes to the agreement table with the contract between two parties, and he says, here's what I intend to do. I will build my church. And then he makes the offer. He says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound. I'll make sure of it. And whatever you loose, I will make sure that it's freed. I will do this. This is my part of the contract. This is my intention. This is my part of the deal. But then we're at the other side of the table. We're at the other side of this agreement. He says, you're my church. You're the ones that I'm going to build. And now here's your part. Here's your participation. Here's where you come into the picture to do what I intend to have done. He says, you become my hands. You become my feet. You become my mouth who will speak to the nations and will speak my will into existence through prayer. You let me use you. And this is what I am prepared to bring into action. It's a contract. And when Jesus talks in John chapter 15 about this connection between us and him, he's talking about this inner, intimate relationship between us and God that many of us can't even understand. And Jesus says, if you have this kind of connection with me, my words will become a part of the very essence of who you are as a person, and anything you pray for will happen. You let me become a part of you, and it is endless possibilities. Think about that. It is endless possibilities. At the very end of this interaction, we realize that Peter brings to Jesus's remembrance what he said to that fig tree. He's like, Jesus, you spoke to the tree yesterday. It really happened. The thing just shriveled up and died. I can't even believe it. He's freaking out because his words actually caused something to happen. And Peter was blown away. He was very impressed by this. And Jesus says in John 15, he literally says, that when you and I produce fruit, it brings glory to the Father. In other words, what it says, when it says that it brings glory to Father, we've talked about God's glory in detail. What it literally means is it reveals who God really is. It makes God plain as day. It's like putting God right up there on a picture for everybody to see. When you and I produce fruit, it shows the world who the Father is. It's amazing. And Jesus shows this interaction with Peter, and he says, Peter, you think that's crazy? You think that me speaking to a little tree and watching it shrivel is crazy? Let me tell you what's really crazy. If you let me become a part of you, you can tell this mountain to turn upside down and throw itself in the sea, and it'll happen, dude. But you have to let me come in and become a part of you. Every ounce of you, your dreams, your aspirations, the things that you have lived your entire life working for, the things that everything about this culture tells you is important, everything that you have bought into, everything that you have watched on TV and listened to on the radio that you think is what life is really all about, Peter, if you'll abandon all of that and let me have you, nothing is impossible between God and man. It's a contract, Peter, and you and me, we will see 
my kingdom come to earth just like it is in heaven. It's amazing. Let me share with you one more scripture in the book of Psalms. In Psalms chapter 25, we find as we talk about prayer, a couple things that we absolutely at our core have to understand, identify with, and and adopt, and let it become a part of us. It says in verse 4, Show me the path where I should walk, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me, and all day long I put my hope in you. In this short little psalm, we find that there are two ingredients that absolutely have to be present if we are going to understand the dimension of prayer that we have been talking about, and that is we have to learn about dependence and humility. Dependence and humility. Learning how to come to God and empty ourself and depend upon Him. Literally, when we come to God to pray, we should not come with a list of things that I want to say, but we should come to God with an attitude that says, God, I come empty. I come with no agenda. I come without any idea of what I should really even ask you for because I am dependent for even the very direction for you to lead me in prayer on. That God, if I want your will to be done, the first thing that has to happen is that you have to reveal to me what your will is. God, I don't know your will. I don't pretend to know the mind of God. And so God, you have to instruct me. You have to lead me on the path that leads to your will. And God, as you show me your will, I will be faithful to speak it into existence. And God, I will play my part. I will join with you in the agreement. And God, I will see it happen. But the second thing that must happen is that humility must be adopted. Because there is nothing more mind-blowing than seeing God answer your prayers. There is nothing more crazy than literally to see the very thing that you asked for come to pass. And there's times when you will see it happen and our flesh and our instinct is to get the head start growing and swelling and going big and be going, yeah, I can totally just boom, pray and things happen. And that's why humility is absolutely the essence of everything in God's kingdom. There are really only two things in the kingdom of God if you really want to get down to it. Or two things in this world, actually. There is pride and there is humility. And if you find yourself on pride, on the side of pride, Scripture says that God is opposed to you. He's the opposite side of you. But the other side of the equation is humility. And the Bible says that God runs to the humble. And he embraces the humble. And he pours his grace on the humble. Pride and humility. And so tonight as we come to God humbly, asking God to lead us and to guide us, it's very important that we understand that humility is not an abandonment of the things that God has given to us. Because there are some of us right here in this room, that are some of the most 
brilliant, gifted, just crazy talented people. And many times when we think of the word humility, we think, oh, well, you have to act like you're not, you know, good at what you do. And that's humble. That's being humble. And that's not being humble at all. I want you to imagine with me if we could bring in right through the doors a giant stallion horse. I remember this movie when I was a kid, this movie called The Black Stallion. And it was like this, it was actually a really cheesy movie, but it was this movie of this kid and his relationship with this horse. Unless you liked the movie, then it was a great movie. I don't want to offend you, but this huge, amazing, powerful beast that was just untamable. And trying to get a rope or a a harness around this thing was just It was almost impossible because the sheer force and strength of this animal was just too much for anybody to control. That is how you and I come into this world all by ourselves. We come in with this raging spirit inside of us that is against God. And it's proud and it's arrogant. And it says to God, I don't need you and I don't want you. And then this world and everything about it reinforces that and convinces us that that's the right thing to do. But when we come to God, God says to us, he says, I made you to be this wild, strong, amazing creature. And I don't want you to lose your strength. I don't want you to stop being who I created you to be. But there's only, there's only two choices here. Either you're going to let me put the bridle on you Either you're going to let me put the harness on you and let me teach you how to be directed by my will or else you're just going to run free and run wild and be what you want to be. Most of us in our lives have been that wild, running free stallion thinking, this is who I am and this is what I am and this is what I'm going to do. And when we come to God, we have this false understanding that says, God doesn't want me to be me anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose who I am. I like who I am. This is who I am. And God is not trying to stop you from being who you are. God just wants to be able to take what he gave you and direct it. Humility is literally not losing your spirit, but losing your self-will. Humility is not denying the gifts and the talents that God's given to you. Humility is offering them back to God and saying, God, you made me to be the best that I possibly can be. But rather than it being all about me and my glory, God, I'm going to give it back to you and let it become all about you and your glory. God, get on me, put the bridle on me, and let's run. You created me to run. Let's do this thing. And as we begin to work with God, there is a joy there is a satisfaction that begins to work out inside of the soul of a person that nothing else on this planet can give you. If you're a creative person, that creativity came from God, and God wants you to use every ounce of creativity that you possess. If you're somebody who's good with your hands, if you're in the trades and you work and you, you, you build things or you, you work on things, God wants you to see your hands and the gifts that he's given to you to be something that can dazzle the world because God gave it to you and because you're using it the way that the creator gave it to you to use. God doesn't want you to lose yourself. 
God wants you to connect with him so that he can have you completely. Would you pray with me? You've been listening to gravitychurch.com. 